Hi, I'm Mary Kay. And I'm Louise. And together we are Novel Gazing, the podcast that talks literary fiction. We are recording today's show on April 28th, so again, if anything juicy happens between now and then, we're not ignoring it. It just hasn't happened to us yet. And on today's show, we're discussing current affairs, as usual, and news, as usual, from the literary fiction world. And we're going to talk about crossover genres as well as our current reads. It has also come to my attention that a few episodes ago, on the episode of literary fiction versus genre fiction, I came in pretty hot and came off pretty elitist about literary fiction. Um, It also seems like I did not clarify enough that my opinion is, of course, super subjective and that just because I prefer one genre over another does not make it better or worse. So I wanted to make sure that uh, to do that here at the top of the episode Mm -hmm. and as a gesture of goodwill and hopefully to kind of undo that error, uh, this episode's topic will be crossover hits, so to speak, Uh, meaning we're going to name some of our favorite literary genres uh, or yeah, literary genres that are also other genres like YA, romances, horror, and what else, Louise? Uh, I think we throw in a couple of randoms, right? Just to keep everyone on their toes. Yeah, I like that idea. Sounds like a plan. (laughs) Okay, but before we get into that, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. At She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, 
he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, so let's open up with some news and current affairs. And I think the first one we wanted to talk about was... um, an article on how authors find their characters speak. And this is one you came across, right, Mary Kay? Yeah, so I found this one actually this morning. Um, and I think Book Riot posted it independently of me finding it as well. So that make that makes me feel good that I have good taste. You know, like <laughs> if Book Riot likes it, it's probably pretty solid. Um, but I thought it was interesting because uh, this study from The Guardian says that Uh, 63% of authors say they hear their characters speak while writing, with 61% reporting characters were capable of acting independently, which then that's a quote directly from the, uh, from the article. Um, so I, as a writer, um, find it odd that the characters will act independently, Yeah, it's um, it's something I've not had, for sure. I mean, I definitely do hear my characters' voices in my head, and I'm wondering if, because I'm right, mostly historical or nonfiction, historical nonfiction or nonfiction, it's not historical, like, they're actual people. So, I want, and uh, part of what this article says, too, is, like, you're basically, if you're, if you're creating a character, you're, you're just, you're creating the persona of a person that lives in your head, mm-hmm. which, um, is pretty normal. Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'll, I'll put on an outfit and hear my mother's voice in my head being like, you need to put some color on your face. With that. You know, like <laughs> I could just hear, like, I can just predict her, um, reactions. And I think like if you are, if you have a really in-depth character, which hopefully you do, um, you should be able to, to kind of hear their reactions as well. But that just seems like odd. They're independent. Yeah, it's quite a traditional um, idea, though, isn't it? You hear it a lot in creative writing, teaching, in, in authors talking about their stuff, that they do have these characters moving independently. I know the big one um, for me with the research doing is people like Enid Blyton and things like that who say, oh, it, they are almost like telling the story on behalf of the characters and they really are just kind of like a conduit for it yeah um i i totally buy that and i know that on my part like my first book is about america's first female serial killer so when her voice came into my head that was pretty disturbing for me Uh so (laughs) a lot of the book is written from like the perspectives of other characters because that First of all, it's just like more authentic because she didn't have much of a voice in that in that time period. But um, also because it uh, it depending on your characters, right? Like you don't want them in your head. I can imagine not with serial killers. Yeah, I can imagine that's an issue. <laughs> right. Oh, she was yeah, actually yeah. packed with issues. Yeah, not don't um, that. Yeah, and then uh, just to kind of pack on like. Or like not back on, but like support what I was trying to say. One of the quotes from this article says that um, internal dialogue or inner speech is a phenomenon that people experience in many different ways, uh, with some people including the voices of people they know as a part of their verbal thinking. And I think that part of that is 
um, how impressionable you are. Mm. Like, or, or maybe even it's a part of empathy. I'm not, I don't know the reasons why that's just like what that the article didn't say that that's just me adding. Yeah. <laughs> to it. Um, and then uh, the article goes on to say whether or not we're always aware of it, most of us are trying to anticipate what other people are going to say and do and er- in everyday interactions. And for some of these writers, it might be the case that after a while, their characters start to feel independent because the writers develop the same kinds of personality models as they develop for real people. And these were generating the same kinds of predictions. So that makes it sound a little bit less like... Um, a disorder and a little more of like you did your due diligence with creating these characters. But I just thought that that was the article is super interesting because I read the title and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's horrifying. And then I read it and I was like, no, this is right. Like this is regular. Like I, I have this all the time. So I don't know. No. Yeah. What do you think? I, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of trying to understand creativity, isn't it, in a really particular sense yeah. and kind of box it and almost find the patterns that make these stories and these narratives happen. Um, but I think as well, it is about patterns, actually, in that we are human. We understand how a conversation works. We look for... Um, hello and then you know you reply with oh great um hello or like how are you i'm fine thank you we fill in and we look for the the call and response the the thing that finishes off the thing that has been given us so in some senses i think it's almost filling in those patterns just but by yourself because there's no one else here Mm. when you write it's like you've got to i don't know sit in the dark and angrily type at the laptop for months on end um yeah yeah um well well uh, when you said that it made me think of like so you know I don't know if this has happened to y'all but this happened to me a lot in like middle or high school where as soon as I left a conversation I would think of the perfect thing to say oh that's the worst and then uh, it's the worst and then um I was like well that is not going to happen to me again so I would like play the conversation out in my head Mm. so that next time I would be ready and I did that a lot. <laughs> the worst. I, like, I still do it, but I was an only child. So, I mean, I spent a lot of time with my own imagination. The worst part is when you get the uh, perfect response about six months after the event. Uh, and you're yes. like, yes, I finally know what to say to this situation. Yeah, or you realize, like, five years later that this person you had a crush on was actually hitting on you. Mm. You just didn't know it at the time. And it's like, oh, I'm stupid. Yeah. Like, what would I These sudden <laughs> moments of revelation. Uh, you know, you right, you workshop that moment in your head and play it out. And sometimes I think that that's how um, uh, people in general kind of develop the persona that they want to display to the world. Because mm. you're like kind of creating that character, like this is how I want to come across, um, but yourself. Well, that in, in, it's just interesting. Yeah, sorry, we're going on a slight tangent here, so just forgive us for a moment. But um, <clears throat> what really stuck with me from what you've just said there is I remember a lecture that I went to and mm-hmm. the guy sort of basically said how many you's as in Y-O-U not as in sheep mm-hmm. <laughs> how many you's are you a you too so his point mm-hmm. was how many different versions of yourself do you present the world and how many different versions of I don't know if your name is like Sarah Jones how many different mm-hmm. Sarahs does the world know 
and it's all about like the identity yeah. that you present and, and you show the versions of yourself to to someone I think Oh, totally. Mm. I agree with that. Um, and we we kind of talked about that on our episode about um, literary nonfiction too. Yeah. Um, so, but I think I mean not only I mean I I might have been Chekhov. I can't remember now who said um, the most the dullest actual person is more interesting than the most interesting character. Ah. So to think that you're writing about or th- yourself or you know creating a, a character it's still only a fraction of what you would know of another person. Mm. So. Oh, we need to do a special just on this, I think, at some point. <laughs> we can. <laughs> I mean, probably, or, or we'll just end up, like, thinking about it. I know. <laughs> we'll just be, like, right. silence. <laughs> about six months later, we will have to do a follow-up and just go, guys, right, <laughs> we figured it out Right, now. that's how long we need to workshop the conversation. Yeah. So, um, um, all right. Man. Yeah, God. let's talk about your... Um, your find of news all right yeah so um the comedy women in print prize 2020 long list is out and mm. this is funny women writing funny things and it's a brilliant long list it features published and unpublished mm. comic fiction and graphic novels by women writers and i will include the link in the show notes of course and the picks of the long list for me were Queenie by Candice Carty Williams, which is mm-hmm. it's one of those books that got um, labelled as as a flea bag similar title, which I kind of think love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a bit hit and miss with flea bag; it never really hit home for me. So I kind of want okay. these books to be understood in their own right. But but Queenie is brilliant. Sure. Um, so I think post breakup life in London, uh, touching on mental health, touching on real world. Um, social rights movements like the me too movement and it's really funny and smart so it has like a similar content yeah i think it's just young women living messy honest lives well i can identify with that (laughs) like solidarity here for the pair of us yeah um and in many (laughs) senses there's not many ways for people to understand that without popping the fleabag label onto them yeah, and I think also people who publicize are like, here's another popular thing where if you liked it, you'll probably like this as well. Yeah, it's it's the shorthand. So go for Queenie, yeah. I think, is, is brilliant. But, um, and, and as you all know, I've recommended comics on here before because I think they're a really excellent route into literary fiction and a brilliant, valid form of literary fiction in their own right. Um, so I'm going to pick Sensible Footwear, A Girl's Guide, which is a graphic guide to lesbian and queer history between 1950 and 2020 by Kate Charlesworth. And it is so good. It's a mammoth task to try and encapsulate that amount of history in a comic. And she does it so brilliantly and so beautifully and so... um, kindly i think i really want like more kindness in um the stuff i read you know like where people realize that the mistakes they make and the mistakes that are made um are just part of being human in a sense Mm -hmm. so yeah sensible footwear i really recommend it so i love this title it's so it's amazing i i have a question Mm -hmm. um because i have not read this but definitely want to and i'm just trying to 
into like manage my expectations i suppose um does it how how much does the footwear play into it is it like an ethnography of shoes no so it's like um it's a pun um in some senses that they are okay. playing on i don't know if the um expression translates into over america but there's an idea okay. that if you wore comfy shoes um oh, yeah. you had a particular sexuality so I mm-hmm. think it's playing on that and messing around with that and just saying, actually, this is the history of the people that stand behind such a trite and inappropriate um, expression. Mm-hmm. And here's the story of what they had. And so it touches on... It's UK history, just to clarify. Cool. Um, okay. So it touches on things like the uh, Section 28 thing, which hit my education. I was never taught about... Um, lesbian and queer history in any sense whatsoever because Mm -hmm. it was um illegal Mm -hmm. so it's remarkable to think how far we've come and yet how far we still have to go in many senses and yes yeah kate charlesworth just kind of encompasses all that in such um a strong powerful brilliant and incredibly funny manner that it's a book that i would give to you in a heartbeat okay I I mean, that does not deter me from wanting to read it, even a little. I was just, you know, trying to conceptualize it in my head. Um, also, I think that does transfer, but it might, that that, um, that phrase does transfer, but it might be a little bit less on the nose here. Because I was like, I, I get that it's a joke, like a kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, in this context. But yeah, thank you for clarifying for me. Also... 70 years is such a long time. It's amazing. It's amazing. I just Yeah. You just kind of think, wow, you've you've done this and even that even if you've done it poorly to still do it is a massive achievement in its own right. But to deliver a book that is as good as this and mm-hmm. as truthful and as beautiful as this, it's it's a great thing. I'm excited for it. Excellent. Um, so are are those two the ones that you hope win? Yeah, I'd go for those okay. two, but um, I think anything on the long list is really great. There's work there by okay. some brilliant women writers, and, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere on there you would not go wrong. We will, as I say, include the link, but we'll also give you the link to the Twitter so you can follow them and Ooh, cool. gain, okay. yeah, gain some more background information on the titles and the writers, and hopefully it um, gives a bit more of an open world. Oh, I'm excited for that. Cool. Fab. Thank you. All right. Shall we pause for a moment from our sponsors? Oh, yes. Fab. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So 
though a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. So let's talk about some crossover hits. Um, it came to my attention while I was listing my favorite YA books to talk to Louise about that, um, well... They're not YA, and that <laughs> might be the reason why I don't, I mean, like, I have no informed opinion about this because I didn't really understand what qualified a book as being part of that genre. So, Louise, will you please define what a young adult genre book is? All right, yeah, I felt really bad because I was just kind of going, that's not young adult, that's not young adult. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> no, but sorry. I'm so glad you did because, I mean, how else would I learn well, you know, so, if nobody ever told me? So the first thing is that young adult isn't a genre. It's a, um, a collection of books that came around essentially in a post-World War II context. If you think that teenagers clearly existed before this, but they weren't ever quite understood. Mm-hmm in this way that we understood them after the war. And a lot of this comes from the radicalism of post-World War II publishing, especially for children and for young adults. People were thinking that children were the people that were going to get them out of these problems. There were two world wars, everything had gone wrong, uh, the world had been reshaped and vastly impacted over several years. And children, mm-hmm. it, it's its a hackneyed phrase, but children were the future. Mm-hmm. So the books that they were given by the adults that um, were involved in publishing, and they were particularly intended to be liberal, radical, to move them towards a place where they could make the choices and to not repeat that which had come before. So then, coming into the 70s and the 80s, when all those kids who'd grown up in the post-war context, who'd read those Mm -hmm. books, we'd had things like Elvis, rock and roll, the Beatles, the idea of a youth culture 
mm-hmm. being really formed. And then in the 80s, these people were kind of adults working in publishing and making the next generation steps, so to speak, in able to find a young adult canon. And this is where most of the big, big initial books start to make themselves known. People like Robert Cormier, Judy Bloom, uh sort of late 80s, 90s, Paula Danziger, people like that. These are stories that were concerned with young adult characters doing young adult things. So not mm-hmm. necessarily like a a child or an adult. Right. It's that space in between, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. See, listeners, y'all are going to see real quick that I didn't know that. <laughs> because the books that I listed or none of them qualify <laughs> for that definition. Also, I just referred to it as a genre, and you were real quick to be like, no. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, it, thank it, you for that. It's a common thing, though. A lot of people can read young adult as a genre and say, okay, it is a genre of books. And it's like, well, no, it's not. It's it's a type of fiction that can be mm-hmm. represented in science um, fiction, um, historical, any sort of type of genre can be considered as a young adult book providing it has these kind of loose criteria of the mm-hmm. usually a juvenile um, central character that he dealing with teenage young adult concerns and mm-hmm. they are recognizably different from children and from adults they're that thing right that, that, that messy in between right right so, like, the ones that I listed, y'all, were To Kill a Mockingbird, not YA, because she's a child, and it takes place in the 30s. So, immediately, out. Um, no, 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 not for that sense. Um, in, in, no? in one sense, you could say that To Kill a Mockingbird is um, a young adult novel, but it's not, because it's written from the adult perspective. Got it. So, okay. she looks back onto her childhood and reflects upon that. So the young adult novel, it clearly existed in some sense before we started referring to it as the young adult novel. Right, before we had a name. Yeah. Okay. But um, okay. with To Kill a Mockingbird, it's because Scout has her, her mature reading of it. So she is an mm-hmm. adult as she's reflecting and, and retelling the story. And mm-hmm. there is a really interesting article on Book Riot that will pop into the link as well, into the links as well, that talks mm-hmm. specifically about whether To Kill a Mockingbird can be young adult. And I think it has, okay. yeah, I think it has certain young adult resonance for sure. So I can see why you pull it in, but mm-hmm. technically, I would probably step back from saying it is a young adult novel because I, 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 I just don't think it is. Okay, um, I'll buy that. I have no frame of reference, so it can be a good book and still not fit into that category. I forgot about Judy Bloom. I do like Judy Bloom. God love Judy Bloom. She is yeah. legendary, even though for many of my generation, particularly from um, British school days, we were very confused with how the sanitary towels and the period thing worked. Mm-hmm. Like they wore sanitary belts and we were like, what is mm-hmm. that? What? How does that work? Right. It is, man, just for so long, they just didn't acknowledge that that was a problem that needed a like salt yeah well it's it's you've got to think like judy bloom is revolutionary in her way for featuring this sort of thing in her books like Mm -hmm. the victorians or something children just kind of magically 
shifted from about six years old to about 19 and getting married. Right. And there was nothing right. in between. Right. You were a child and then you were a mom and yeah. you were dead. And that's it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Look forward to that, the, guys. You know, right, right. Um, okay, so... The others, I'm just going to go ahead and get these out of the way, if that's all right. Oh, because my love. none of these are, are accurately YA. Um, Phantom Tollbooth? Nope. That's child's fantasy. All Roll Doll? Also no. Um, I put in Uncle Remus, but I don't think those are either. I think those are a, a totally different, amazing, problematic oral history. Um, and then I put in The Wizard of Oz, and, I was, and that's also a no. That's child... That's child children's lit and fantasy, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so. <laughs> we so that led me to maybe the the conclusion that maybe I just did not have a young adulthood. Like <laughs> it seems like I have no authority at all because um, I wasn't even aware of what YA entailed. I think, though, so, in, in some sense, we can sort of say that... And this is also to readers who might have had... Um, other readers that might have had a similar journey, in that it's never too late to start reading these books. Sure. Because you have... You know, I am still working out the world massively, and I'm like 102. Um, so <laughs> these books still have an immense cultural resonance, and... If you are wanting places to start, we can provide those. And, you know, my picks would be I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith, who was the author of the uh, 101 Dalmatians. Okay. And I Capture the Castle, it's possibly the most perfect young adult novel you might read in some senses, in that it has an eccentric family. She, The opening line is, I write this sitting in the kitchen sink. And it's so beautifully and so vividly romantic and unreal and strange that if you haven't been towards these books before and if you're not sure where to begin, then, you know, I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith is a perfect place to start. Okay. Noted. <laughs> Added to list. <laughs> Let's all read it. I would be very happy if just everyone just reads I Capture the Castle for like the next six weeks. That would make my day. Okay. Great. All right. <laughs> Book club. <laughs> um, and the other stuff I was thinking of as well was um, some other authors that are brilliant and give you crazy, wild, big stories that kind of find the um, the edge of the universe and find the elasticity in it and that push it open for you and say so you can be part of this world. So the other book that I would recommend, again, as, as doing something like this, is mm. a book called Life, an Exploded Diagram, and it's by Mal Pete, who has now sadly passed away. But the books that he wrote before um, this were stunning. They are almost unclassifiable, yet they tell you everything about the world and what you can be within it. And so Life, an Exploded Diagram is, at one sense, it's a love story. At one sense, it's um, a history lesson. And it's so strange and so big, it's 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 a brilliant piece of writing. It sounds good, and it's a great title. Yeah, it's it's really great. Um, 
I don't know, should I give my third here? Or do you think? Yeah, yeah. do it. All right, so I wanted to pick a couple of uh, examples of authors from across the time period. So a couple of, like a historical one. And then I wanted to pick someone really recent and present. And that is an author called Juno Dawson, who is a UK young adult writer of fierce talent. And she shifts across genre. She's done stuff um, like a contemporary point horror type vibe through to uh, Margot and Me, which is a book about a relationship between a girl and her grandmother and her finding out actually what's going on with her grandmother and why she is what she is. Uh, and Juno Dawson is so skilled at hopping between these stories and yet telling the truth about teenage life in, in that it is complicated but you are not alone in experiencing this. You are with friends, you are with people. Mm-hmm. And the choices that you make are totally valid and you have the right to make them. She has a lovely eye for youthful life. God, that sounds cool. so ancient. Youthful life. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can cope with like a granny telling you this, <laughs> I really recommend, yeah, Juno Dawson's my final sort of big pick. Any of her work. But particularly, um, I think Margot and Me is one of the best. Okay. I thought of one. (gasps) Go for it. Okay. So uh, when I was, well, I did an AmeriCorps program tutoring um, kids who had mental illness. And um, what that meant for me, and I have a point in telling you all this, I promise. Um, What that meant for me is like a lot of the kids who were like 14 to 18, so young adults, um, just didn't really trust adults because they didn't have any who were reliable in their lives. And so I was supposed to tutor them in literacy. So I brought in The Outsiders mm. by S.E. Hinton. Yep, yep. And I set it down on the table, and and I just thought of another one, too, that I read with them. Um, uh, and I was trying to get this one kid to read it, and he just was not into it. And another kid, one of the older ones, came by, and he goes, Oh, The Outsiders? this book go hard <laughs> because it was so resonant you know with them because it is like it's it's uh, uh it has to do with gangs i mean granted like this is in the 50s so they look different than they do now but um it was just like that quick endorsement of like <laughs> a, yeah. an, an older young adult made the kid i was trying to read with be like yes okay let's do it so i thought about that one and then on a similar note um because I'm wondering now, like, maybe I didn't have a young adulthood, and that's why I don't identify with that genre in the past. I haven't in the past. Um, but would you count Holes? Ooh, I would probably say it's Upper Children's. But then okay. again, that's really, like, because I work in the, in, the, in the industry, and it's a really picky thing. And I do think at some point you have to kind of go, all right, who is this book talking to, and who is this book... Mm-hmm resonating with but yeah i'd probably say young young adult it's it's kind of on the cusp okay so i will i will allow it (laughs) okay (laughs) i was thinking like as i was as you know i was recalling it i was like but i think i read that with a 13 year old so i'm not sure if it'll count yeah Um, i mean i read it on my own as well but um i didn't remember it as well as when i was reading it with him because um kind of looking back on it i could that novel is so tight like it's just yeah. everything comes back in um same with the outsiders like it is just it's they're both very well done and i think that they're both 
quote unquote literary as we loosely defined it in mm. episode zero too. Um, and, and I'm not saying that the ones that you picked weren't, of course, I just haven't read those. And of course I trust your judgment over, especially <laughs> over mine. Um, but yeah, I have some, I have some holes in my knowledge, of course. Um, oh, and I just wanted to tell y'all listeners that I probably need the read harder challenge a lot more than I thought. And, um, by the way, I've been using the spreadsheet that the amazing tears I made, which we'll link to, um, which is kind of a reading log, but it also tells you like what, where you've been reading at, like if you've been reading mostly, uh, female or male or non-binary authors, like it's just a really cool way of seeing what, basically what your comfort zone is. And, um, there's another toggle that goes to the read harder challenge that when I started this, uh, spreadsheet in January, I was like, well, I'm going to do this too, just to see how, you know, if I am reading as diversely as I thought, and um, I have completed eight out of the 24 of the challenges, which is, I've never been good at eight times tables, but (laughs) that's a third, right? It's a propulsion. (laughs) Okay, so I'm a little behind, but um, I also haven't um, intentionally yet gone in and been like, okay, I need to read um, from this thing. But I mean, the list is great. It's really cool. Um, and, and it's, um, specific in a way that I wouldn't think to look for, especially like out of, out of my comfort zone. So it's cool. Um, okay. Should we move into a different, uh, crossover hit subgenre? I don't even know how to say what I'm trying to say. Help me. Uh, romance. (laughs) (laughs) To some. Let's go to romance. Okay. All right. So you want to start? Or you want me to? Um, I can do. So, yeah. Um, ooh, where do you begin with romance? Because I think, um, for me, it begins in um, two words, and that is Eva Ibbotson. Okay. And she <laughs> is an author that didn't really, from what I've been told and what I've talked with with people, has never really fully translated over to the US market as much as she did here. Um, okay. She was a Jewish uh her family was Jewish and they moved over to the UK in the 40s due to um, obviously the the rise of Nazism and she attended a very avant-garde school that I actually went to university um, at later so it was really lovely that connection and she grew up to write these incredibly rich stories of eccentric artistic creative um unusual people falling in love with each other even though one of them or both of them might not be aware of that happening Hmm. and she has buns in them she has tea houses eccentric ants uh and every inch of it is suffused with um her her heritage her, her jewish heritage and also her rich eye for detail there's a line in one of them that i i will never forget and she talks about how you what is it one character scratches the um ear of a dog and she scratches him just in the precise part where a large dog keeps his soul and i just thought that's so beautiful to find that moment yeah and she's so right it's just behind the ear of a big dog that you can just go this is it this is where you are precisely perfectly perfectly made so yeah um okay so i have a question that i probably should have asked earlier but how do you define if something is a romance? 
Oh, I think if it just has the romantic element, you can have the straight okay. sort of Mills and Boone type romance where you know very much where when you pick it up what you're getting into, right? Mm-hmm. Where okay. it's it's packaged in a certain manner. It's perhaps part of a series. It's perhaps got certain okay. rules about it. I know the Mills and Boone books are very specifically designed and structured and have certain um, elements about them that have to be in a certain manner. Um, hmm. But interesting, yeah. So you can have kind of straight pure romance, but equally romance is such a it's a part of human life, isn't it? And it's everywhere. So. Yeah. I love it when you find it in places that you do not expect. So yeah. for me, the other book that I wanted to shout out for this moment was um, a book called A Little Love Song by Michelle Magorian. Uh, okay. It's technically a young adult. Um, and you should look for the UK version if you can. It was republished in the US in a slightly different form called mm-hmm. Not a Swan and has an extra weird plot element twist in it <laughs> okay. it just doesn't work so that one's a double crossover hit yeah so um yeah. it ticks both boom um yeah so awesome. a little love song it's the book that i read when i need my heart making whole essentially you know mm-hmm. when you are broke and depressed and everything is awful i pick i, I pick this book so it's a good one for right now. Is what I'm <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. So once you finish doing a capture the castle, if everyone would do a little love song, and then just hit me up on Twitter and we can talk about it until the cows come home, I'd be very happy. Wonderful. Yours sounds so wholesome compared to the ones that I know. <laughs> we are a show that embraces contrasts. Okay, so one that I wanted, or one author that I felt I didn't put it on the list, but. Um, of course, I don't know how I missed her, but Anais Nin. Oh, yeah. was like, uh, she's amazing. Um, yeah. I like I like the correspondences between her and Henry Miller, I think, the best. Um, but uh, I loved Rosalind Miles' Guinevere trilogy when I was in high school because it retells the story of King Arthur, or like, you know, the whole... yeah mythology which i was obsessed with at the time and um it does so where love and lust and attraction is really the motivations behind Mm. um uh, behind it all of it and i liked as well that it um acknowledged that there was something going on with lancelot for arthur (gasps) yeah um which is I feel like revisionist wise pretty apparent but at the time it would have been like an easter egg for if you knew then you knew Mm -hmm. but it wasn't so I loved those um also of course I love Anne Rice like she is I mean I'm a horror person but you can totally tell that she's a romance writer even though she is most famous for her vampire series and that beauty series um well, it's a re- another retelling of the fairy tale of um, Sleeping Beauty. Okay, is kind of genius, honestly. Ooh. Like it's it's pretty dope. So I've never really gone to Anne Rice. Also, would you suggest that's a good place to start? Um, 
Uh, I think it depends, because it definitely, even when she's writing romance, of, of the limited cross-section that I've read, it definitely still has the element of horror in it. All right, okay. So if that is not really your jam, maybe no. <laughs> but if it is, maybe yes. Just no. Or or just, you know, give it a go, and then if you, this is what I do with books where I'm on the fence, like, I don't really like it, but I know who would like it, mm-hmm. and then I give it to them. So that's always a way to do it, and you can support your booksellers at this um, precarious economic time as well. So yes. If you're thinking about buying any of these books, go ahead on and do it, y'all. We are pro that. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. So. So. You go. <laughs> so the last um, genre that we wanted to talk about was horror, right? Yeah. And I know this is your specialty area. So do you want to hit us off? Sure. So um, I kind of define horror as loosely as I define literary meaning that one of its objectives, one of the main objectives, is to scare you. Mm-hmm. So um, that's just, I mean, that's, again, very loose, and, of course, anyone can have his their own opinion about it, so it's fine. <laughs> but um, for, like, with the beauty series with Anne Rice, it's it definitely has the romantic element, and it also is supposed to make you a little uncomfortable, I think. All right. Um, so maybe not like outright scare you where you need to put the book in the freezer when you go to bed, but it should like, you know, make you like a little <laughs> bit spooked afterwards. So um, the the scariest book that I've ever read, I definitely would consider literature. It's called um, The True Confessions of a Justified Sinner by James Hogg. And I thought that it was going to be super dry because I think I read it in 17th century literature and he's scottish i thought you were about to say that like i I read it in the 17th century and i'm thinking (laughs) how (laughs) yes i'm a thousand and one wow like (laughs) we're we're all about sharing (laughs) yeah um so uh he he um he's in scotland and or maybe it's the 1700s actually not the 17th century my bad um so this is uh during a calvinist uh protestantism in which uh, predestination is a really big factor, but um, there's a, a group of uh, of that denomination that believes you can tell, or rather, um, the, a reverend can tell you whether or not you are predestined to go to heaven, and if you are, I mean, do whatever you want, right? Because you're in. Oh. So... Um, which I don't think is the message of the book, but I do think it is a caution against that mentality, especially for that time period, because, um, and this is not spoiling anything, it happens in the first uh, first 20 pages of this book, um, one, one of the teenagers comes of age, and um, he has like a party, and then his, the reverend, his, I think, stepfather, um, decides that he is in the elect, which is what they call it, and that day, after or the next day after the party, when he is capable of making his own adult decisions, Satan shows up <laughs> and is reading the Bible. Oh. And it's like, oh my God! <laughs> like it's so it's so scary, but it also has a deeper purpose of like consider what you believe in. I think um, that's one of the messages that it tries to get across. Um, and I, I, it was not dry at all. Like I thought it was going to be, just because of that time period is is a is a layer of the English language that is just typically really hard for me to access, but it was so compelling. Um, so that one, <clears throat> excuse me. And then, um, geek love by Catherine Dunn. 
is amazing. It's about, um, how to paraphrase this. Wow. Uh-huh. Go. Listeners, if y'all have read this book, you're, you're probably like, how is she going to do this? Because <laughs> there's just so much in it. Essentially, a family of sideshow workers decides that they want to have children who all have anomalous bodies so that they can have um, basically a means of, of earning money built into their existence. Oh, my God. So... I know. So, um, the mother and the mother and father do novelty acts. I think one of them is an acrobat and the other is, uh, maybe a mermaid. I can't remember. Like it's a, but it's a thing you can train yourself to do. Um, whereas a, a freak show as it is called in the book, um, is typically a person with an anomalous body. So like an extra limb or something that at the time period would not have been thought of medical so much as like a, an omen. So the family decides that that's what they're going to do and dose themselves with something that may, that messes up their DNA. Um, so that they have this family full of, I mean, I don't want to say disabled because they are abled in other ways, but it's just, it's, it's very complicated and it's told from one of the children's perspectives. So it's just, it's real good. <laughs> it's real good and real scary. And it has the circus element, which is always a little spooky mm. or at least unnerving. Um, it's fantastic. <laughs> it truly is. And I, it took me, and I, I know we were talking about like covers. It took me so long to read that book because the cover of the version that I kept seeing was just not very good. Like it didn't, I mean, I don't want to say not very good because it is, of course, well designed, but it didn't depict what was happening in the book on the cover. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I know you're not supposed to judge a book on its cover, but, but we I mean, do. You start somewhere. Yeah, we do. But we do. Mm. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So yeah. But those are my two big horror literary reads, and of course, Beloved. But I talk about that incessantly. <gasps> so <laughs> those those are the two big ones. You just say that as a given. That one, right? Right, it is a given. Excellent. It's the best book. All right, yeah. so for the horror stuff, I was like, I, I, I knew it was your kind of jam. So I'm thinking, okay, what can I bring to this? And I'm <laughs> kind of gone down the route of the psychologically odd, unnerving type of stuff. Love it. So Love it. yeah. Um. So yeah. I've gone for um a children's book called Marianne Dreams by Catherine Stall, and it's. Oh, a couple of decades old now and it's about an ill girl who is bedridden from her illness and as part of that her mum gives her some crayons to work with and the drawings that she makes she starts entering them in her dreams and it Ooh, is so cool. it is so good it's really incredibly weird and incredibly unnerving and incredibly dark for what it is and when it was it's so unusual so um yeah marianne dreams um there's apparently a sequel to it that wasn't by any means as good so stick with the first one and be freaked out and again come and tell me all about it because i am still thinking about that book yes add to cart get it Um, (laughs) i mean not while i was on the call (laughs) immediately afterward i will yeah i (laughs) when i'm writing a vision (laughs) Every now and then, like, British children's and young adult literature throws out these really 
unusual things that don't make any sense they don't fit any genre they don't fit any criteria they just kind of are so resolutely um of themselves and i think marianne dreams is one of those books and it's incredibly well done awesome so yeah is it illustrated yeah so the um oh yeah the drawings that she does in the edition that i had i think it's um the same throughout the edition that i had had these drawings come in and you could see like what she made on the paper and oh i don't know how anyone when they first read it when it first came out ever drew anything again because i'd just be like no no (laughs) i'm gonna get sucked into it yeah i'm not having those crayons i will just stare at the page from now on because i think that's safer (laughs) <laughs> blank page is good yeah um and so yeah so the last one that i thought is of is it's on a similar line which is okay. black narcissus by rumor Godden. and there's a bbc adaptation of this i think coming soon so keep your eyes out for that because i'm really looking forward to it cool. and what it is is it's a group of nuns are sent to establish a convent in um, India in the Himalayas somewhere and it doesn't go well they're kind of affected by the area they're kind of affected by the things that happen certain of them find their commitment to their religion incredibly challenged Mm -hmm. and things go to a scary and unusual and complicated place and it's not necessarily horror in you know ghouls and gremlins jumping out of the darkness at you but it's more the things that lie in the back of your psyche finally making themselves known i cannot wait oh god i am so pumped for that i love the book so you much. had me at none <laughs> like <laughs> i'm ready well yeah. yeah um and the film is by emmerich powell it, it's it's by powell and pressburger a really iconic um world war Two mid-century filmmakers and the film i really recommend as well if you if you can't get out the book okay. get yourself towards the film it's beautifully done and it's got a lot in it to think about so I'm trying to be like as coy as I can without telling you everything. Sure, yeah, you don't want to give too much. Yeah, away. but I think it's um, it's one of those books that you kind of think you understand it, and then you put it down, and you think, nah, there's so much more, right. and I'm only just getting at it. <laughs> yeah, you're just. That's how I was about the movie The Witch. Mm. I was like in the grocery store like four days later, just staring at the laundry detergent. Like, is that what that meant? <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps unfolding. I love it. We, oh, I can't wait. And is black narcissus a flower? Yeah, uh, the narcissus okay. is a flower. I don't know if it's a black now. Na- I don't know if there's a black narcissus. But yeah, there's certainly a yellow one. Plants aren't my specialty. Okay. <laughs> Me neither. Um, cool. Okay. So yeah. Oh, I'm excited for this. No, I know. Um, we will come back to this kind of area and discussion in the future, I think, because there's still a lot more titles and, and a lot more things that we could have mentioned. But... I think, yeah. yeah, if you hit us up with genres that we've missed or genres that you'd like to, us to talk about or things for the future that you want us to um, give you reading recommendations and a discussion on, then hit us up. We're more than happy. Yeah, we can do a deep dive into any of these or if we missed one. Um, we, we love we love hearing from y'all about what you want us to address and all that. Or just, just, just tell us that you liked it or that... Well, I like less when you tell us that you don't, but of of course I do. <laughs> but tell us. I still want to know though, because yeah. we're trying to improve. But tell us okay. if you've read um, 
I'll capture the castle because then I can yes. fangirl with you over it all. Yeah, I'm excited for that one too. I have at least three that I'm adding to my list. I know, God. Um, yeah. Oh, so what are you reading now, Louise? So, um, I recently um, sold my first book. I got a book deal, which was which was kind of glorious. <gasps> And I know, very exciting. Oh my gosh, congratulations! Thank you. I'm so excited. And as part of it, I bought myself, um, because I am nothing if not on brand, I bought myself some vintage picture books to celebrate. And I Good. picked uh, The Madeline Treasury by Ludwig Bemelmans. And so yes. for those of you... I've been seeing you post about those. Oh, I they made that. me so happy. They're just so great. Um, beautiful. If you don't know Madeline, she is a tiny girl who attends a... Um, convent school in Paris there are 12 little girls in two little lines and the smallest of them all is Madeline it's adorable and she takes no grief she she's just tough and small and feisty and the books are beautifully done they were done by um, I think Ludwig Bemelmans was a New York reporter a reporter for the New Yorker Okay. Yeah, so he's got a really strong, beautiful eye for detail. And so in this kind of eccentric story of these two, this little girl storming her way around Paris, you get some classic sights and sounds of, of the images that she's around in. So you see, like, the Eiffel Tower, you see, like, the um, oh. Champs-Élysées, you see this, that and the other, and it's just beautiful. Oh, that's wonderful. Keep posting about it, please. Oh, I will. I'm so obsessed with them. So, yeah, that's, also, that's my can treat. You, can you tell us about your book? Oh, yeah. Um, sure. Uh, it's called How to Be Brave, and it features nuns and buns and convents, and there is a theme with my work at the moment. There really is. Uh, I love it. And a boarding school story, and it is due out in autumn 2021. Wonderful. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Oh, it's That's fun great. times. Yeah, so what about your book? What are you reading? Oh, okay, so I just started reading A Manual for Cleaning Women by Lucia Berlin. Ooh. And it's another collection of short stories, and I am really enjoying it so far because I, I can't remember if I've talked to it to about to you about it um, on here, but I'm really fascinated with uh, the way people go about jobs that um, I don't want to say they're unappreciated, but like if you do them well, then people don't really notice. Mm-hmm. Like cleaning people. Yeah. You know? Um, so I'm really enjoying that uh, a lot. Excellent. It's very cool. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And it was recommended on uh, Carmen Maria Machado's list and I, you know I'm obsessed with her so um I I've just been working my way through that list and now I have some more to add to it but yeah I'm really liking that book a lot oh uh, we're all going to be so busy when we get to go back into like the libraries and the bookshops oh yeah it's gonna be so busy <laughs> poor guys all right so um, yeah I think that's it okay I'll sign this off Bye. um thank you all so much for listening thank you to our sponsors who make this possible um Listeners, don't forget to subscribe through however you like to get your podcasts. Uh, Tell your friends about us. And if you can, uh, we would love it if you left us a review because that helps other people find us. Um, Where can they find you at specifically, Louise? So you can find me um, at my website, which is didyouoverstoptothink.com. And I'm also at Chalet Fan on Twitter. 
Yay. And then you're going to keep posting about Madeline. You I am. Missed. I am. Join me okay. in picture book nerdery. Okay, good. <laughs> and um, I'm Mary Kay. Uh, you can find me on MaryKayMcBrayer.com, but also on Twitter at MKMcBrayer and Instagram at MaryKayMcBrayer. So thank you all again for listening, and thank we will you. talk to you soon. I think next time we're talking about doorstoppers, right? <gasps> yes. Like the big, thick books. Yes. Awesome. Okay, we'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Thanks. Thanks.